Soundcheck one, two, three. Who is this? It's me. And I want to say that if this is really season three, it's mean that something needs to change. It's mean that you are not an interviewer anymore. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I... I Come I f- back to old Amy. Like, give your long rant about some crazy anti-Semitic shit and love to Israel and everything that you believe. But I miss the old you, you know what I'm saying? You miss all of the old me, though? I mean, I've been listening to some of these old episodes because our social media, this is on me, it's a little bit behind. And I... I listened to some of the old me in those early seasons and I totally get it. And I really, I'm hugging her, but a little bit, it was a little bit like nuts, you know, you, you miss all of that or just no, like specific I, parts. I know what you're saying, but the thing is that right now, like the last few months being like, this was a roller coaster here, here in this living room, like many different kind of people. We dance. You remember the day we danced with... Oh, yeah, uh, with Chayalev. Like, I really enjoy to see this all um, beautiful um, Jewish people. I mean, the people who come here was interesting, but I think the podcast is you. You know what I'm saying? I don't know how to respond to that because I feel like it's, it's not just me. It's like us. And then it's like us in the world... I'm really grateful. I mean, this is like hugely flattering, obviously. Like who wouldn't want to hear like, give us more of you after so many years, like my whole life, I was just like, oh, maybe I'm too much. Maybe I don't know enough. Maybe I should be smaller. Who am I to go on the air? Blah, blah, blah. I was like really freaking out at the beginning. Do you remember? I would like, after each of these episodes, I would like basically cry and confide in like good friends abroad and just be like, oh my God, I'm insane. Everyone's going to think I'm insane. I actually said that in I think episode 16 like, oh my God, I'm crazy. Everyone's going to realize that I'm crazy. And now I don't feel that way. So I'm really grateful because without this podcast, I don't know, like I just feel more secure in who I am and more comfortable in who I am. And that's a huge gift. So what I want, if I want to conclude, conclusion. Yeah, wrap, wrap, wrap me. If Pull I want the to wrap down. it up, make discussion. Don't ask questions. I think it's like on the same um, loop with no piercing, no problem. So like, don't ask questions, make discussion. This is our new title for season three. Still stay a question, Queen, but also bring us a little bit more of the chatterbox. No, it should be like 50-50. I want like in the end, when I'm looking on the waveform, I will see like half Amy, half the, the guest. Okay. You can make it happen? Yeah, we can make it happen. Today's episode is brought to us by Zahav Jewelry with 1L. Hi, welcome to October 7th, Emotionally Raw Coverage. Today is February 27th, and it's the 144th day of the war. Today is episode 42. Season three, bring us more conversation. Thank you, Dor. And also... You know what's great about a new season? You can bring back some of the guests. So here with us today is Matthew Schultz, a dear friend of mine and also a writer and rabbinical student commuting between Tel Aviv, Jerusalem, and Boston. He's a weekly columnist for the Jewish Journal, 
covering all things Israel, Judaism, and Jewish culture. He also publishes long-form Instagram posts in an attempt to spark a more nuanced and informed discussion about Israel. He's the author of What Came Before, a collection of micro-essays, and he co-hosts the How to Be podcast with Rory O'Toole, an investigation into how to best live this one precious and wild life. Matt was here with us on episode 34 in season two, Rockets and Revelations, Happy New Year, question mark. That was in early January. Matt, I'm so happy you're back here with us today. I'm so happy to be back. I, I like thinking of myself as a friend of the pod. That's who I want to be. We like thinking of you as a friend of the pod, and I like thinking of you as a very dear friend that I also see outside of these podcast conversations. Oh, yes. It's always a pleasure to just talk to you about anything. We spoke this morning as kind of a, ooh, what do we feel like talking about today? And there's so much we feel like talking about. Where should we begin? Well, first I want to say, just as a little side door, I think you're brilliant. I think what you just said is is very true. Like, Yoav, my partner, also said it. He was like, Amy can carry that thing. But I think that conversations are great. But yeah, discussions. We, the people want to hear what Amy has to say. I feel like I'm really blushing. Thank you. They're both incredibly handsome men and they're just smiling at me. And I just, <laughs> I, I feel like I look like a tomato right no. now. Okay. Where Thank are we you. starting? Well, where, can we start with Barbara? Let's start with Barbara. Okay. So Barbara Streisand picked up the Lifetime Achievement Award at the SAG Awards this week, last week. What is I think time? This week. This yeah. week. Presenting the award to Barbara were Jennifer Aniston, who I love, mm -hmm. and Bradley Cooper, who, yes, you just like reminded me, was in the Star is Born remake, which makes sense. But he's also dating Gigi Hadid, who hates us. I did um, not know that. Yeah. And he played Leonard Bernstein. And they put that prosthetic nose on him, you know, because he's like a non-Jew playing a Jew. So I was just like, oh, that's really interesting. But I totally forgotten about the Star is Born remake, which incidentally we were supposed to see last week, but I wasn't feeling well. And we just watched the Barbara version quite recently. Exactly. And I didn't know she was going to get that Lifetime Achievement Award. So leaving Bradley aside, the acceptance speech, which I watched at two times speed, which I think is a great speed to watch Barbara at. I love Barbara. It's not that I'm trying, like I'm saying less time for Barbara. I'm just saying, try it out. It makes a lot of sense. And she made a nod to the increasing anti-Semitism. you know, like at the Golden Globes, like mm -hmm. no one said shit about anything going on. Like October 7th, the hostage is nothing. Not Do they a have like a musical performance for like the victims of Nova at the, oh, that was the Grammys. Them, oh yeah, the, the Grammys okay. were a little bit more vocal, but the Golden Globes weren't so much. And Barbara gave like a 10 minute speech. We heard about her young life, how she got into the silver screen. She's been a SAG member for 60 years. It's, it's truly incredible. I love Barbara Streisand. And she had like a subtle nod to say about rising anti-Semitism. She basically said, you know, like, look at this industry, who founded it? And she peeled back the names that so many of us grew up with, you know, how it was the man behind Samuel Gold, 
Goldwyn or Eliezer Meir, who became Louis B. Meyer mm. and the four, I can't pronounce their last names, brothers who became the Warner brothers. Mm-hmm. And she was basically talking about like those roots, those Eastern European Jews who fled prejudice in Eastern Europe. Prejudice is like a light word for what they were fleeing. Like I would call it more like actual violence against Jewish bodies and attempts slash successful murders of them. But okay, prejudice. And they were fleeing prejudice. And she was saying like, wouldn't it be great for that prejudice not to exist anymore for like generally prejudice to not exist anymore. And so many people on Instagram the morning after, which I guess, or that night, an hour morning, whatever, but they were all just like, oh, applause for Barbara. She really like brought, she like spoke up for October 7th. And I was like, did she? I feel like anyone could see, could hear those words that she was saying and also walk away being like, oh my God, Jews do control the media and B, (laughs) and B, all prejudice is bad. Like that includes like Islamophobia. You know what I mean? Like it was just so general that it meant almost nothing. And I'm not going to blame her. Like it's her lifetime achievement award. I want her to be free to like accept it in any way she wants. But anyway, it's just kind of like tickling my brain the past few days. Yeah, I think it was as anodyne, to use a Sam Harris word, mm. as as anodyne a nod towards anti-Semitism as she could have made. She mentioned that they were persecuted in Europe for their religion, which again is like not quite getting to the heart of it. But I spend a lot of time with, with Barbara Streisand. Me and my partner are listening to her 40-hour audiobook every night as we fall asleep. So I feel like I understand how she thinks and sees the world. And she's not a very political person, you know? She's not Katie from the way we were. And also her her Judaism plays an interesting role in her life, but she's not Yentl either. Neither is she Yentl, neither is she Katie. She's Barbara and we love Barbara. I think that was sort of... It made sense to me, that type of messaging from her. And yeah, she she definitely like called out the specifically anti-Jewish discrimination in Hollywood. And good for her. I want to say thank you, Barbara. I'm tired lately. It's like 144 days into this. It's like five months into it. My screen time's gone down. Really? Which is great because it went through the roof. It was like seven hours on average about a month and a half, two months ago. On the phone or on the computer or both combined? Combined, it's higher. I don't even want to know what it is combined, to be honest. But it was on the phone because it was like deep in these like Instagram vortexes about like October 7th and everything besides October 7th. And it wasn't, you know, if I'm like, I also make art. So like I die fibers with plants and I like experiment with ice dyeing. And if I'm like spending some time on my phone and Pinterest, I don't feel like it's a wash. Like I'm learning things usually, or I'm visually feeling inspired. And I'm not going to say that like there was no value in me going down these like Instagram wormholes at the beginning of the war. Like something's truly magical happened there. Like I became, I felt more empowered by some of the content I was seeing there or was inspiring me to think differently. But, you know, Duncan Trussell, who I, I really enjoy, um, 
he said something recently like, you know, the the phone and all this stuff, it's like digital parasites. And I don't know, I was like thinking about it that yesterday I was in bed and I was like reading and then I would like take a pause every so often and like open Instagram. And then I feel like I've changed. Like I look at some of that content that was so, I was just like frenetically engaged with like the world and the screen and the things I was seeing there and the conversations I was having. And now I think it's a, it's a good thing when I'm in there, I feel more detached, but I'm also just like kind of tired. Like I scroll through the news and I'm just like, wow, it's just so weird. Everything's just so weird. It's like Biden, a picture of Biden with like an ice cream cone. And then he's like, oh, the hostage deal is probably going to be clinched in the next week. And then there's like a picture of a soldier in Gaza, like dropping dropping the ballot into the box because today Mm -hmm. we're having municipal elections. And it's just like, I'm totally sober scrolling through and I'm like, it's just so weird. And instead of being like, it's so weird, let's get to the bottom of it. Now I'm just like, it's so weird. Well, I think that first of all, you know, there's back to Barbara for a second. She, when she was recalling the start of her career, she talked about going to a movie for the first time. And she was like, moving pictures on a screen. Imagine that. And, you know, moving pictures on a screen, it enchanted her and it inspired her life's work. And it brought her on this fabulous adventure of her life and led to this moment where she's getting the Lifetime Achievement Award. But if you really think about moving pictures on a screen and what they've become in our culture today, like we've been completely domed by them. And they are parasites. And yeah, they're like, they're they're just objectively ruining our lives. And we all know it and we're all powerless to stop it. I think the sense of powerlessness is fascinating. Like we all know it's bad. We all hate it. We all can't get out. But at least when it comes to the news, everything's in motion. The war's in motion. The negotiations are in motion. The northern border is um, simmering. We don't know what's going to happen there. So at this point with the news, you just need to check in and see what's the status update. There's nothing sort of changing qualitatively right now. So you just check in and you go, anything, any news on the hostage deal? Uh, making progress a couple of days. They expect this. Okay, done. You don't have to read the whole analysis. Northern border, what's going on there? Ah, there was an exchange of rockets. Okay. Like, so there's this freedom to just sort of check in with everything right now, rather than where we were a few months ago, which was everything was a new thread. All these new threads were developing and it was really overwhelming. And that's when we had to be completely sunk in it. Now we're free to sink into other forms of content. Like, you know, I like watching spooky supernatural reels on Instagram. And lately I'm reading fiction again for the first time in years. And like, I think, so I read Bonfire of the Vanities, Mm -hmm. like January and part of February. That's like a 700 page fiction book. I never had, I, I would see like more than 300, 400 pages, even when I was a book, a huge bookworm as a kid. And I was like, no, you know what? 700 is like, that's too much. I'm not doing that. 
And it was there and it was like uh, the next 10 books that I want to read, but it's always like you find something else. And then I finished that and now I'm in another fiction book. And it's like, I wasn't reading fiction for years. And what's strange about that whole thing in terms of like these other forms is I remember when it used to be like a source of pride. Like my father would be like, I have five kids and this is my kid that reads, you know, she's the reader. Mm -hmm, And it was mm -hmm. like, oh, a person spends their time reading. That's a respectable thing to do. And now I find that I'm reading also because I'm genuinely curious. And also, you know, I, I really like reading also because I know that it's good for my anxiety and I'm trying to spend less time on the digital screen. So it, you know, checks all the boxes. But when I do go back into the apps, they're like, you should download Blinkist. It's going to use AI technology to summarize all the books you want to read so that you don't have to read the book, but you get the summary. And it's like, the book has just become like the, it's like worthless. It's like when you, when you've, go to an estate sale or a yard sale and like you see this couple and they passed away and they have like thousands of books and now no one wants the books or like horrific, like what people do sometimes, like a loved one dies and then they'll just dump the entire library onto the street. And it doesn't matter if there's like rain in the forecast for the coming hours because the libraries don't want these books anymore. So it's like, have we come into this time now where you know, it's like, don't waste your time and read a book. Like, don't be a dummy. And, you know, being a dummy is like reading a book, be a smarty, get on the AI train. And the AI is going to like bring you to the future. You don't want to get left behind in the past and be a dummy schmuck with like a book in your hands. Cause everyone's moving really fast on the freight train into the future. And like, you don't want to get left behind. And it's like, oh my God, am I a schmuck for sitting here reading a book? Like maybe I should be doing something else. And I, and I vacillate between that tiredness and that checking into the news and then like doing the self-care thing where it's like, okay, Amy, spend less time on the thing. And like, you like reading and like, I have to, I have to do these jumping jacks. And then it's strange. We started this in the fall. Then we went through the winter and now spring is starting again because whatever, Tel Aviv has its own weather season thing. Maybe it's the spring energy that's kind of like, do something, get out there. Or maybe it's that I'm like, when the fuck is this war going to end already? But like, I don't know. I don't know if any of that made sense. It's just like this frenetic energy, this kind of restlessness, this kind of me vacillating between luxuriating in time and allowing myself to do that or allowing myself to be a person. And then this sense of maybe I'm not living right. Maybe I'm not doing this thing right. I don't know. Do you, do you feel, do you feel any of this? I relate to it in not exactly, but I, also feel that I always am anxious about the fact that I don't read enough. And then often when I'm reading, I feel anxious about the fact that it's not a a quote unquote productive activity. And I'm like sitting on the couch. I'm like, shouldn't I be exercising or writing something or, you know, just really anything else. But then when I'm doing something else, I feel like I should be reading more because there are all these people in the world who are incredibly well-read and I'm jealous of them. I wish I was one of them and, or I wish I was more, I wish I had read everything. That's kind of how, how I feel, but I don't always want to actually sit and read it. You know, it's sometimes these books that you want to have read are actually really boring and impossible to get through. So it's a conundrum, but we have a really weird relationship with reading as a society. We, we, we do it a lot, not necessarily books, but we're like engaging with 
language and text all the time. We have this idea that reading is virtuous. Like you said, like your parents are like, this is my reading daughter. And I had that sense too of myself as a child. I was like, I'm a boy that reads. And it made me feel like a special little British boy in like a fantasy novel. And, you know, like I had like great expectations by Charles Dickens when I was like eight or something. And everyone was so impressed that I was reading it, but I didn't understand it. And I like couldn't succeed with it, but everyone was already so impressed with me that I just had to pretend that I was reading it. So I'd like walk around with it and pretend to read it. And then eventually I like pretended to finish it. And I only read it for the first time after college, which is like a lot of people read in high school. So now not only wasn't I early, I was late to the party. So I have these goals for myself and they keep shifting, which is good. That's healthy. You know, I'm in the world, the world changes me, then I change, blah, blah, blah. One of those goals for the past like four years has been to build a personal website. And I was really close to hitting publish on a website in December. That's what I wanted for my birthday. I was like, I'm going to hit publish on December 22nd. And I'm going to, I'm going to cross that goal off the list. And I was like learning how to do my own WordPress. And it was like, great. And then the day of, I was just like, no, it's not, it's not ready. It's not exactly that. And then all sorts of stuff happened. And I revisited the website this week. Oh, by the way, October 7th, Emotionally Raw Coverage has a website now. That'll be in the show notes. So enjoy that. That happened last week. So this week I was like, you know what? Coming off the heels of that, let's finish it. Let's put it to rest. And I was looking at it and I was like, thank God I didn't publish this in December. There's too much going on here. There's too much text. It's not clear what I am. It's not clear what I want. And I swear this connects to what we were talking about. There's something that you said about understanding. Like you read that book and you didn't understand it. And I've been thinking about this like AI train. And yes, we'll get into that in a second with ChatGPT. And there's so much time that I've been saving using that as a linguistic editor. But there's also this point of like, you can use these tools till the cows come home, but if you don't understand within yourself what it is that you want to say to the world or what it is that you want to be working in or what the services are that you're offering or how you see yourself, I don't really think that these like tools are the way to go. It reminds me of something else that Duncan Trussell, I, I guess it's twice in one episode. Hey, Duncan. Um, but he said something like, all these tools, like everyone wants to get to God status. You know, like you'll be able, you're going to use the AI and then you're going to be like a superhuman. And he said, but how sad is that going to be when we're all gods? Because gods don't really go through a hero transformation. A god starts off the same way it ends, but it, I guess gods don't end. They're just like forever. And at the beginning, they're able to like make fire, go through walls, whatever gods do, like superpowers or whatever. And it's humans that go through the transformation. You know, something happens to me as I'm reading that book. I don't want the summary of Past Continuous by Yaakov Shabtai, which I'm reading right now, and it's super stream of consciousness and it's great. But like something inside of that experience is also bringing up my own memories. And it's, it's, it's what I'm trying to say is I feel like a hurricane energy right now this week in terms of my emotions for this coverage, this installment of the raw emotional coverage. And maybe 
maybe that's also an outcome of where we're on, we're at at the timeline. It's like a never ending sort of kind of fog of war situation. Maybe this week will be the hostage deal. Maybe this week it won't be. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe, maybe the news is just giving me like 1% of what's going on. It probably is maybe 0.5%. I don't really know. And so how do we get into that space of understanding more, I guess is what I'm trying to, I think that that might be the, the more important conversation. Not that it, I don't know if this makes sense. This I feel very Duncan Trussley right now. It's trying, uh, kind of like I'm a I have no beginning and no end, but that that's what jumped to mind at me when you said about understanding is like all these I don't want to get rid of reading. I want to keep reading cuz I want to keep transforming and I don't want to become a person that doesn't I don't know, interact in a sense. It doesn't polish my own stone. Well, if we want to understand more, I think we have to read less. By which I mean less books, more slowly, and more deeply. So one thing that you come to understand when you're a rabbinical student is that we have this one book, we have the Tanakh, and you can endlessly read it. You can read it so deeply and so intensely and you can gain such mastery of it. And I and I learned from these teachers who really have incredible mastery of, of this text to the point where they see these little details in it that you would not see if you weren't reading it three times a week, uh, three times a week, twice in Hebrew, more than that, really, once in, in Aramaic Targum, also with the Rashi, probably also in English. That level of deepness allows you to access something that you would never get otherwise. So now that I've done that once, or I'm in the process of doing that once with this one text, I've become aware through that of how lightly I'm reading everything else. Um, So I just read The Merchant of Venice, and I just read it. I just picked it up, I started it, and I read it on my own, and I finished it with no commentary with no teacher, with no discussion group, with no really sticking with the passages that I didn't understand to go deeper in it. So that's one experience of writing, of reading. And and now I can say I've read the, the Merchant of Venice. I have read it. But have I really understood it? Only in the most shallow way. And if I really want to understand it, I have to keep reading it. And that cuts off my ability to read something new and say that I have read that as well. So when we read acquisitively, when we read deeply, we we have to sacrifice reading acquisitively, having more and more titles under our belt. And when we read acquisitively, we cut off the ability to read with really deep understanding. A Blinkist app, you know, maybe that works with a very particular type of book, some because the thing with these self-help books is that usually they're actually not more complex than an article, but the publishing industry is such that you write, you know, like there's this book, a nonfiction book called Bullshit Jobs about how so many jobs in our economy are bullshit and alienating and don't really do anything or require any skill. This guy wrote an essay titled Bullshit Jobs. It went completely viral They wanted a book from him. So now he has to expand this article 
into a full nonfiction book because that's what the market requires. It didn't need to be a book. It was already complete and perfect as an article. So that for that sort of thing, Blinkist might work. But for any real great work of literature, you really have to spin your wheels with it. That that helps me close a point on what I've been experiencing this week. I got really frustrated with myself because apart from the personal website, I also wanted to kind of finish turning my tiny home into an atelier in addition to like my, my studio where I do all my sewing and dyeing and all these different things and weaving, whatever. And I haven't done it. I've been wanting to sell some of my stuff and move my product, if you will, for like two years. And I haven't done it. I haven't taken the photos to like put them online and just be like, DM me, this is for sale or follow through with some of the, you know, like some of the sales that are going around town, like the organizers, like I start the conversations and then I haven't taken the pictures. And I know this doesn't sound like it's related at all to October 7th, but it kind of, it kind of is because I was like in a really good groove until all of this went down. And then it kind of, okay, it kind of moves you off course. And then I've been getting back in. And again, it's like, what the fuck is holding me back? And I just, on Sunday, I felt this frenetic energy bubbling up. I went to the cafe that we bleeped out in the last episode because that's where I like to start my week. And I was on the computer and I was just like getting emails out and all this different stuff. And then I said, you know what? You're starting to spin. You have actually, your partner came in and I was like, there's no seats around. Take my seat. I'm going home. I need to ground. I need to eat something. I need to chill. And I was like, I'm closing the computer for the rest of the day. And I'm going to the outside outdoor studio and I'm getting, I'm moving stuff. And I think to connect all of these points, like in in terms of the intellectual realm and the physical space, it didn't seem like much, but I got rid of some stuff that I'd had for over a decade, like a coffee table that a friend had made, but it's like, it's, it's already like seen its life, like it's done. And, and I didn't expect it to like move something inside of me. And today I woke up and I was like out in my studio and dying stuff. And I was like, there is more space here now. And I'm biting off a little bit more like I'm, I'm going one step at a time, but it's beyond that. It's not just, I go one step at a time and then the thing gets done. It's I move something and what there is left is actually different than what I would have anticipated before I went in. I change something or I'm changed somehow. And I let myself continue in that process. And I come to it with a newness instead of saying, Oh, I did these things or, Oh, I still have those things to do. And to connect everything if I can, cause it's like, really on the fly. This is super from the bottom of my heart, apropos door. It's that I'm letting go of aspirations as well. Each one of these things that I've been holding on to, or each one of these, it's either because I I'm scared that if I sell the picture framed poster that I haven't had on the wall in two years, that I'll miss it. Or I'm scared that I'll fail somehow if I go to that sale and try to sell some stuff, or I'm worried that there's something more productive I could be doing with my time. And all of those things are theoretical and kind of less is really more. And, and that abundance inside of all this chaos and inside of all this heartbreak. And that'll probably lead us to our next one, wrapping up this segment, which is living in a cancel culture. Hi, and welcome to Solid Gold. Joining us today is Matthew Schultz. Welcome to Solid Gold, Matt. Hello. Wow, you have a whole different uh, facial expression for Solid Gold. You become like a different person a little bit. 
Do I become like a person with piercings or without piercings? Um, I think you become a person for whom no piercings, no problem. So today on Solid Gold, I'd like to talk to you about your relationship with jewelry. Mm-hmm. Well, I used to love jewelry when I was, when I first came out of the closet, I decked myself out in fancy rings and uh, jeweled bracelets. Um, and then I kind of what became retroactively embarrassed about how far I went with it, you know, being so bejeweled. So then I toned down, but today I, I have pierced ears. I have a gold watch. It's not real gold, unfortunately, but I think a few nice, a few nice accent pieces for me is always embellishes an outfit nicely. Visit ZahavJewelry.com. It's Zahav Jewelry with one L. For gold body jewelry. Gold body jewelry made in New York City with solid gold. And use discount code DOOR24, that's D-O-R-24, for an additional 35% off your entire order. If it's your first purchase, they'll even throw in a free pair of 14-karat gold earrings. Stay tuned for next week's edition of Solid Gold. Cancel culture. Oh, man. I'm going to cancel those kids. I'm going to cancel them. I'm I'm just going to cancel them. I'm just going to keep talking. If I say my P's too hard, Matt, just kind of signal. For our loyal listeners, you might... Wow, you can really hear them today. They're, they're oh, that's why. Today is today. There are municipal elections in Israel. Now I understand. I just connected all the dots. So we mm, typically no started school. recording at two p.m. because that's when the kids are still at school. Mm-hmm. And between two and four p.m. in Israel, you're not allowed to do construction. So it's this like nice little pocket of time that I was like, okay, great. No kids playing on the street because they're in school and no construction. I but, didn't know that. Yeah. It's Why? The, for like siesta? Yeah. Cute. You can actually, if one of your neighbors who, I mean, I'm just speaking hypothetically, of course. If one of your neighbors is doing construction all the time, let's say on like a 15 square meter addendum to their house that's taking, I don't know, two years. And you just like wonder out loud to yourself, are they, are they paying this guy that's showing up to help them? Because they could have bought a mansion for the price of the construction on their 15 minute, their 15 meter add on, whatever. Anyway, you can call the cops if they're like drilling, Mm. sawing, whatever between two and 4 PM and they will get a ticket. Fascinating. I didn't know that. So that's a nice law. It's also a nice law that you that uh, election day is a holiday. Exactly. That's where I was going to go with this. Thank you for, you know, pulling me back down. It's a holiday here. Also at the municipal level, also on the national level. Someone posted on Facebook today. He was feeling very curmudgeonly, I imagine. But he said, is it really worth the three billion shekels that this municipal election day is costing the country? And I was like, what's the alternative, bro? No elections ever again. Like, (laughs) What do you want? Like, what do you want us to do? Um, So municipal elections were supposed to happen in October. They got delayed twice and they're happening today. We voted. 
Also, like, I don't believe that. Okay, $3, million, $3 billion lost in productivity from shekels. having the day off shekels. But it wasn't really. Yeah, like, is anyone being productive lately? Like, I'm just going to... What's going on? What? Where is our economy? Like, what? What's happening? Are people buying? People are like too broke to really be buying stuff. Only like the really, really like rich people are like still spending money on like restaurants or on clothing. Like the price of some of the retail is like it's it's even higher end retail now. Like if you're in North Jaffa and like Noga and Avitzetic or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I just don't believe in in math like that. Like you know, like if you. I I once did copywriting for this company that like said it would help your employees like save 40 seconds on each transaction. And by the end of 10 years, that'd be $20 billion. And it's like, no, it doesn't work like that. Math is, uh, it's funny. Like, so door door was like, you guys get 15 minutes, two more segments. I'm going downstairs to talk to the kids. Cause I already went to the balcony and I was like, Hey kitties, Love you, miss you. We used to hang out in the first month and two in the same safe room. So they all know me and they're like, oh my God, hi. And I was like, oh my God, hi. Love you a lot. Would love you more if you just, you know, took all your outdoor playing to the other street, maybe down there. They're like, but can we braid your hair afterwards? I was like, yeah. So Dor went downstairs to talk to them. And then he was like, you guys continue. And I don't think he's going to like this too much. We didn't get into the cancel culture yet. We just talked <laughs> about what was going on until he came back. So we're going to ask him for an extension because we just explained it till now. But it was it made for some good entertainment. Do you feel entertained? I feel entertained. Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. So now we're going to get into cancel culture because he was down there canceling their playtime. No, that's not really why <laughs> we're going to talk about it, but we're going to talk about it because holy guacamole. So they're like, Israel can't participate in Eurovision. Now there's a push to get it, the Israeli pavilion kicked out of the Biennale, which is unfortunate because I actually know Ruth Patir. Like I've known her since I made Aliyah. She's super deserves Just to, to be in the Biennale. Just to put a finer point on that, it's not that Israel's kicked out of Eurovision. They're saying Israel's song is too political and might they might disqualify the song. The song is just a sad song about October 7th. Yeah, but I feel like they would take any song probably and do that. I mean, you know, it's kind of like, I feel like I'm one of the clouding gay supporters now, you know, when they were like, she didn't really, like no one's really kicking her out for plagiarizing. Though I think that's totally different because- mm. Frankly, I do whatever. I'm not getting in. I don't want to talk about Claudine Gay. Okay. No, no. I don't. But cancel culture, interesting story. So Saturday, I'm like sitting in my Shabbat day. Shabbat. That was like the weirdest way I've ever said Shabbat in my life. Shabbat. <laughs> <laughs> so I was in my Shabbat days and um, just chilling. And then I opened Instagram. It was like probably Motsash, whatever. And, uh, someone was someone who I went to law school with non-Jewish, as far as I know, was like, Hey, just wanted to reach out. We haven't spoken a long time, been listening to the podcast. Really interesting. I don't fully agree with everything, but you know, you're so brave for putting yourself out there, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, great. Thank you so much. You know, like that, that's who doesn't want to hear something like that. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for reaching out, blah, blah, blah. Just out of curiosity, what don't we really agree about? And she was like, well, about the whole like cancel culture stuff. I don't really think it exists. I don't think people are getting canceled. And I was like, 
hey, um, so BDS is like real and like it's happening. And, you know, some of my friends have been affected by it. Um, and she was like, and, and, I, and I said something like, um, oh, I think it's anti-Semitic and it's anti-Semitic or I don't know who, what came first, chicken or egg, whether she said oh, she thinks it's a democratic and totally legitimate you know, way of, of sparking change. And then I said, well, I think it's totally anti-Semitic and I didn't flesh it out enough because it was post Shabbat. Um, but <laughs> you know, my kind of thought process there was if something is racist or anti-Semitic, then it can't really be deemed democratic or liberal. Anyway, I don't know if we're going to get to the bottom of that. That's like a podcast within a podcast, but we were speaking about it briefly this morning and you said something great. You, I'm not going to steal your Joe Rogan line. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Like cancel culture is clearly real, but it's not total. No one can fully cancel you and excommunicate you entirely from society. There's always going to be a, a warm seat on Joe Rogan for these people. I mean, Shane Gillis hosted SNL this week. So Shane Gillis was hired by SNL in 2019. Then they found out about like a racial joke he had made in the past, fired him before his first appearance. Then years later, he's hosting. Where's he been in the meantime? Joe Rogan. Building up a fan base for people who don't didn't like that he was canceled and who are like plugged into the, the anti-cancel culture world, which is like, Joe Rogan centric. So there's multiple different media landscapes. And if you're kicked out of one, you may very well be able to find your place in another. You may not like that, but I'm reading this book about Spinoza right now by Ian Barama, who, by the way, had his own cancel culture scandal when he was booted from the New York Review of Books. And in Spinoza's time, you could truly, truly be canceled. He tells this story of this guy, a Jewish guy um, who was excommunicated, as Spinoza would later be, from the Jewish community. When you're excommunicated, you face a level of, of isolation that we can't even fathom. No one will do business with you. You can't attend your parents' funerals. Your parents can't attend your home. Um, and it was so much that he begged to be readmitted, even though he wasn't a true believer. So they they readmit him, and then they start noticing that he's not a true believer. He's not being quite as strict with kosher and Shabbat as a true believer would. So they kick him out again. Again, the isolation gets to him, and uh, it's too much for him. So after a couple of years, he goes back and begs to be let back. They go, this time we're not going to let you back unless you show us that you're really sincere. So they whip him while chanting psalms, and then they have him stripped down, lie on the floor of the synagogue, and have all the children of the community run back and forth on top of him. Now he can be re-let into the community, but he's been so degraded and humiliated that he, he took his own life shortly after this. So that was not just the Jewish community. Every Christian community also was absolute in absolute hysteria all the time about um, heresy 
these they were they were very specific about their Christology. If you were a Trinitarian, not a Trinitarian, if you were a follower of this scholar or that scholar, and if you weren't in the right club, you would be pushed out re- in a really brutal way. So that's not our society. And we should like be careful not to exaggerate and say like that that's where that we live in such an illiberal time where there's no free speech. Like we enjoy huge amounts of free speech and just like an ability to be a free thinker, even with those illiberal elements that are in our society, we still have it pretty good compared to Spinoza. I don't want to talk too much about the cancel culture thing. Cause like we could get into that forever. I just know that one of my dear friends here, he finished his first feature film with a very big deal Israeli producer. I'm so proud of him. And they were, they, they, they filmed like three years ago. They did post-production. This was supposed to be the time that he was supposed to be in festivals and no one wants to let him into festivals because it's an Israeli production. So to me, it's like, yeah, sure. We can go and build another festival now, but if you were to substitute like Israeli production with any other metric, all of this stuff would fail. Like if instead of running around these campuses being like down with the Jews, down with Israel, down with Zionism, it was like insert another minority group. None of this, it would never have depended on the context. So it's like, and we've gotten into that in so many episodes already now, but I guess I, I don't really know where to go with that. It's like, yeah, they can, they can cancel the Israeli pavilion at the Venice Biennale, but then, I mean, what does that mean? Like now we go make our own Biennale and like, is that even legitimate to be doing? Like, it's just so, and it's heartbreaking for me because the artist that's supposed to participate in the Vienna Spionale on behalf of Israel, I mentioned her name before really quickly, Ruth Batir. She really deserves this. Her art's been truly incredible. And the topic that she was going to be getting into, I think, was motherhood and women. And and when October 7th happened, I was like, oh my God, I'm so eager to see what Ruth is going to do with this topic after all of the sexual violence. And it just seems so insane to me that it's just like, carte blanche, no, you're out. Like nothing that you can say, it doesn't matter what the content is of your art. And I was looking again at like BDS and some of the, even the New York Times articles about BDS from like 2019. And and they don't have like an end goal in mind. It's just like, we don't have a right to exist, period. And I think a lot of people don't get that. They're like, oh, BDS is legitimate because that's going to be like a way that we're going to stop the war. And like, and Palestinians are also going to get their state. But like, no, that's not, that's not the agenda here. It's like canceling us and like canceling us. It's like from the river to the sea shit. So, and so maybe we can escape. Maybe we can be like Barbara for a second. Let's escape into a silver screen. Let's escape, if you will, Matthew, into the last segment. Can we maybe delve into a hypothetical reality where the history of Israel and the Jewish people unfold differently in alternate dimensions? Perhaps we can discuss quantum Zionism and explore the multiverse of Jewish history. What do you say? 
yeah, let's discuss the multiverse of Jewish history. But I kind of want to tie the multiverse of Jewish history to the previous topic a little bit. Because, well, it's a a travesty that Jews are being excluded from things like the Biennale and, and other things like that. I haven't heard that story specifically, but I, like... They, the, I don't think they've finalized it yet. I think there's just like a, a push that's gaining steam mm, right now. Okay. Like, that's terrible. And we need to fight against that exclusion. But while we fight against that exclusion, we also need to be creating Jewish multiverses, by which I mean parallel universes. When Jews were excluded from the literary scene in Europe, they created the Yiddish literary scene, which was, we're all thankful that that body of literature exists. And when they were excluded from the theater, they created the Yiddish theater. And we're all thankful that that body of work exists. And it gives us this opportunity to see what Jewish artists do in these uh, fields that aren't specifically Jewish themselves. This isn't Torah study, it's theater, it's literature. But in this alternative, separate Jewish universe that was created by necessity, um, because of the discrimination. So there can be opportunity in this too, which is not to romanticize the discrimination. Obviously we need to be like really pushing back against the way that just being a Jew or being Israeli is you're instantly politicized and held accountable for the perceived and alleged crimes of, of the nation you know we can't accept that but if we if we can use it as an excuse to escape into jewish multiverses then that's at least a little bright side right it's a huge bright side and maybe without that yiddish theater we wouldn't have had hollywood yeah i mean this is like stretching deep into the annals of my mind and and some sort of like information that i once had that i i haven't honestly been exposed to and didn't research before this episode, but I'm pretty sure that a lot of the people that were like in there in early Hollywood had come out of the Yiddish theater, had seen Yiddish theater. Like there was some sort of connection there. So yeah, we don't really know what's going to go on. And in Tel Aviv, at least it's this feeling like it's, it's funny. Like I grew up on the East coast of the States and then here we're on the West coast. And the feeling on coasts is that sometimes people are looking out except for New York, New York really looks in. It's like Mm -hmm. some people like don't get off Manhattan for like years on end. It's like that sex in the city episode where Miranda, I think dates the guy that hasn't left Manhattan in like a decade. But in Tel Aviv, there's this sense of like so many people escaping here. Like I've been here for 13, 14 years and, and people were always asking me like, why don't you live in New York? Why did you leave New York? Why wouldn't you be in New York? Or I, or a lot of people are still talking. They're like, I want to go to Portugal. I want to go to Greece. I want to go to, you know, Berlin, not like as like a one month vacation as a like fucking move there by property and like settle down there. And as sad as I am about all the discrimination, I have this hope. I guess we share that, that maybe now instead of being so like literally West focused and like looking with eyes towards the West as if everything is better there, everything's easier there, that's, you know, make it there. Maybe, maybe now we're going to see more roots down here. Maybe now we're going to see more of a celebration of 
the local culture and more of a, wait a second, I'm not running anywhere. This is like where I am. And let's take those things that we learned while we were abroad and double down and like, you know, really maybe Israeli cinema is going to get a boost. Maybe we're going to create a new format of media that nobody's ever heard of or seen or thought of, or I don't know. I guess we do kind of do that with our high tech scene, but I don't know. Yeah. I think we see this thing in Israel where there's a lot of Israelis are and Jews in general are really tortured by the idea of being so particular and being confined to this one weird, troubled, small country. And you meet a lot of Israelis, especially in Tel Aviv, who who just want to shake it off and be citizens of the world. And uh, and I think it's this incredibly fundamental Jewish pull towards particularism and repulsion from particularism. And it goes back all, all the way th- through our history. So like in the, in the morning prayers, you say, as you're leading up to the Shema, you have these two different choruses of angels that are singing next to God's throne. Side one and side two. And they're screaming at each other and they're screaming two very different theologies. It's almost like they're having this eternal argument back and forth. This side says, Kadosh, 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 Adonai Tzvaot, Melo Kola Arts Kvodo. Holy, 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 God's presence is in all the land, all the world. It fills everything. It's everywhere. It can't be bound up um, in one particular place. So that's like the universalist impulse. And then the other side screams back. They're literally screaming. It says this, Baruch Kavod um, Hashem Mim Komo. God's presence it emanates from his place, which is understood to be Yerushalayim, the Temple Mount. God has a God has an address, and it's in Jerusalem, and and that's where the the presence dwells. So that's like the particularist impulse. So we have these two groups of angels screaming at each other, and they're in us. Every Jew has those angels screaming in them. And that's why we have this tortured relationship with really wanting to be part of the world and look outward. And then some of us feel the opposite impulse, really wanting to just dig in and be particularist. And then a lot of us have the the constant battle about it or a fluctuation based on what the the historical moment is and what the the spiritual need is according to that moment. In the multiverse, we have hours and hours and hours that we just like do this and it never stops. In the multiverse, that's our podcast. But in this verse, that's all the time we have today. Thank you, Matthew Schultz, for joining us. And thank you, listeners, for listening. If this is your first time joining us, we invite you to go back and listen to a few other episodes. I'm going to make this really brief. Episode zero our sort of disclaimer, episode 21. It's like the first month curated selection of all the zaniness. From episode 32, we started inviting guests. It's a great time. We have a website now. We have amazing episode descriptions that really get into, you know, what's been going on there. Then Instagram, we have a Patreon. Please go over there and support us in any way that you can. We have a YouTube channel. We have a Twitter account, but I haven't posted anything there because honestly, the Twitterverse kind of freaks me out. And all the links are in the show notes. 
And that's it, I guess. So thank you to Shema Podcasting, your home for podcasts, Jonathan Gall, Maya Schlesinger, my partner in creation, Dora Comet. I'm Amy Sapan. Stay safe and stay tuned. Was that fast enough for you, Dor? Were you, was that better for you? Were you, were you more entertained? Were you more entertained, Dor? Actually, yes. I, it felt a little bit like the old Amy, you know what I'm saying? Like I see you, finally. I hear you. Like I see the character is going out through the microphone to the listeners. And I think some of the people will agree with me. You know what I miss from season one? When you would grab the guitar and we would start singing. But now we can't. Now we can't. We, we can't we're, because we're, we're scared. Afraid. Yeah, we're afraid. But we can make like original song. We can. I'm maybe thinking, next. Maybe next episode we'll sing an original song. Maybe AI will help us get the lyrics to it. Who knows? 